Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Our first reading this morning comes from the third chapter of Philippians. Paul writes, Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter, Jesus continued, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, the landowner sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to Jesus, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. 
When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that Jesus was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded Jesus as a prophet. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. To remind you quite briefly during this season, we got a, a series, series, uh, multiple series of readings from the New Testament, while the other three readings, if we had them all, we're just doing the preach text right now, uh, those three texts would be thematically connected. In other words, the letters we have here from Paul may or may not be connected to the theme of the day. Usually not. Sometimes there is a curious connection, though, not quite along the lines of the the theme of the day, but a little more subtle, or maybe from a little different angle. And that's what we see today. We skipped them because you can take my word for it, that the Old Testament reading from Isaiah and the Psalm would have been remarkably consistent with the parable Jesus gives us in Matthew. A lot of of the same themes. God is envisioned as the owner of a vineyard. The owner has expectations. He knows what he wants. Yield, right? In the metaphor, it's uh, grapes and juice and wine and vinegar and all the rest. That's what the benefits of such a vineyard would be. And good grapes and wine end up being the, then the metaphors for the way things were supposed to turn out, the kind of work people were supposed to do, the way things are supposed to be. In that culture, much like ours, the natural thing to do then is to send workers out to do the work and the combination of a good vineyard and, a good, and good workers should yield good results. But those workers in each case, well, they just don't behave as they're supposed to. The way their behavior is described across the three texts varies, but it does just boil down to that. They were supposed to do one thing, they did another. And in each case, responsibility falls, it turns out, to the, the leadership, to the religious and the political leaders. They could have brought about justice, but they brought about violence instead. They could have worked for the good of all, but they worked for the good of themselves. In Jesus' day, at least within the influential sphere of, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, that sort of thing, some of the powerful religious figures blended religious and political influence. Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and so on. In the parables, they are the workers who have seized the vineyard for nefarious purposes. They kill those who come to deliver the truth because that means they have to let go of some of it, and they'll kill Jesus just the same. The consequence of all this in each case is those who were supposed to behave well for the sake of others and instead turn inward for their own benefit, they'll have that taken from them by force. And that puts us at something like five weeks in a row here of Jesus laying it on thick. We might be starting to look for a a way out because these harsh demands and strict callings, the things Jesus calls us to do, they're indicting us. They're against the religious establishment. So at that point, it bears keeping in mind that the word of God is always law slash gospel, two sides of the same coin, and law serves its purpose. Jesus has teachings like this to humble us, convict us, to show us our need for a savior. Okay, so the theme of the day is set (laughs) at some length, and we see some of the circumstances we're faced with. What about Paul? Well, Philippians is quite likely his youngest letter, as in the last one that he wrote that we still have. He's in prison awaiting his own death. In last week's text, he expressed this anxiety about uh, about being uh, torn between two desires. On the one hand, he wants to die to be with Christ. On the other hand, his life on earth is a benefit for the people he loves. So he wants to stick around for 
their sake. Reflecting on this, on his life, on his death, he comes to some realizations. You might have thought these messages of the law, when the word of God convicts, would have just brushed right off of him. Who is he to be judged? He's the greatest among God's people, by all the traditional measures at least. So we have uh, his resume here. He's as Jewish as Jewish can be, born into it, practicing it, living it, blameless in it. Yet somehow, all of that together, he realizes, reflecting on his life, where he's at now, it doesn't amount to anything. Knowing Jesus, he now regards them as rubbish. And you may recall, if you've been around for a while, the word here for rubbish isn't quite rubbish. It's uh, a better translation would be one of those four-letter words that you can say on network television, but only after the kids are supposed to be in bed. Knowing God through Jesus for Paul is so much greater than knowing God through keeping the law that he figures the old way might as well get flushed down the toilet. The new way is to know Christ better, more deeply, by living a life like his, suffering like he did, dying like he did. Ultimately, he says, God willing, to attain a resurrection like Jesus's. Quick aside then, this is not an indictment against Judaism by any means. It's an indictment against any expression of God-fearing religion that insists you can and must earn your way to God if you just you know, follow the right rules if you're born in the right place and so on. That doesn't apply to all of Judaism by any means, and it's certainly not unique to Judaism. Lastly, uh, Paul turns to the, well, to how the already not yet part of our salvation is played out in his own life. He's come to know Christ and tasted salvation, and the foretaste increases his resolve and his desire to keep going. Even facing his own death, he knows that the best thing he can do is to look straight ahead and keep charging on. Okay, so those are all the texts for today, and brief. And I said there was a connection worth noting and exploring a bit. You may have caught more than one, though. Of course, there's a few. For example, each text was an indictment on religious leadership that enforces rules for the sake of keeping power and how that won't work out in the end. You may have noticed that Paul is kind of like the stewards sent out to the vineyard being captured and killed by the powers that be because they don't want to hear the truth and maybe lose that influence they have. It's in fact better, it turns out, to be a truth bearer who suffers for the sake of truth than to be powerful and comfortable because of lies. But the thing I'd really like to highlight for you today is the second half of law slash gospel, the way we interpret scripture often. I mean, it's a favorite among Lutherans. During certain eras, seasons of time, it's been considered the way Lutherans ought to read and preach just about any sermon. It's kind of a big deal. (laughs) The law, already mentioned, has its use in convicting us, showing us our sin and our need for a savior. It also serves as a guide for how we might respond to salvation. Christ having been made Christ's. Uh, But Luther was hesitant to even bring that up because he was afraid people would hear it as like a requirement for salvation. The gospel comes right along with that and relieves us of the guilt. That's its use. It assures us of God's mercy of salvation by grace through faith on account of Christ. And while we cannot save ourselves from sin, death, or the devil, we don't need to because God has done that for us. The gospel comes in its various ways with its various implications here, of course, and everywhere. Not least of which that the owner, God's standing in the parable, just keeps sending messenger after messenger. This isn't a God who's going to abandon us or creation. 
But it comes in a particular way here that we don't often talk about. And that gospel could be expressed something like this. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We saw that right up top. Our sense of the world is chaotic, sinful, painful, unfair. It's not some illusion. It's not like when we talk about how God will set things completely right in the next age, the next life, new creation, that we could suddenly ignore the trouble we're faced with here and now, like it goes away. The vineyard was supposed to bear good fruit. The potential here, here, right, in the vineyard is still here to do better. And we won't get there like to perfection, but we can certainly be better than this. Things aren't hopeless. Even in the throes of the worst things life can throw at us, we are not hopeless. Thus, the gospel today comes to us in two ways. As we join with all of creation, all matter of life and circumstances like this, all of us together, we can be better. We will be better. And no matter what assails us, it cannot take our hope. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio in my sermons does not always come with proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my own seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study, and I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave, fairly often. Some credit is due to at least one of those other sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other. Be responsible and have a great rest of the week. Thanks.